You're listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast, where you'll learn step-by-step how to meet and seduce beautiful women, whether you're looking for one night of fun, a week-long fling, or a long-term relationship. I'm your host, Trip, and the episode starts now. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. On today's episode, I'm very excited to be interviewing Sean T. Smith. Sean T. Smith is the author of The Tactical Guide to Women, which is How Men Can Manage Risk in Dating and Marriage. And so today, I'm really excited to be interviewing him because I really love his work. I bought his book a few years ago. And it's so well written because it's so simple in terms of how he explains what to look for when you're dating, when you're getting into serious relationships. And it's all organized in this book in such a way where you can devour this thing in a couple of days and get all the good information and no fluff, no BS. And he gets right to the point. And I absolutely love it. And I recommend it to all of my coaching clients. Whenever I'm working with a coaching client and we find that he's doing really successful in dating and now he has to know how to find someone who's going to be a good fit for him, I always say, get on Amazon, get the book, The Tactical Guide to Women. So it's all about how to find someone who is going to be mature, who's going to be mentally stable, who's going to be really ready to be in a good relationship with you and how you can be a guy to sift through all of the different women out there to find who is going to be a good partner. So it's about really finding someone who is emotionally stable and also really going to cause you less problems when you're out there dating. So it's a great book. Highly recommend it. Get it for yourself. Read it. And if you're not so sure yet, well, that's okay, because you're about to hear the interview with me and the author right now, and you're going to hear some of his great viewpoints on dating and marriage and some of the things to look for when you are dating. And also, we're going to dive deep into marriage. When should you get married? When is it important to move in with somebody? When should you know to you know shit or get off the pot in terms of break up with someone or stay with them? All this on the interview with me and Sean, and he is a doctor in psychology. So this guy knows what he's talking about. He is and has been seeing men as patients, couples as patients. So he sees how it all goes down and knows what the pitfalls in relationships are. So he's great to speak to, and I'm so excited that I have him on the podcast today. Just so you know, if you are looking to get into a relationship yourself, but you don't even know how to do that yet. So you're sort of before that stage of even sifting through who would be a good partner. You're still learning about attraction and meeting women and how to have conversations that hold women's interest, that hold your interest. We can sign you up for coaching as soon as possible. If you want to sign up for coaching with me one-on-one, all you have to do is go to coachedbytrip.com. That's the URL for you and I to get on a phone call to work together because you're going to go to that URL, fill out an application form. And then if I see that you're a good fit based on the application, you and I will get on a phone call. Really, when I say a good fit means you got to be over 18 and you got to be filling out the application as best as possible. 
If you put a couple words on for the answers, it doesn't show me you're serious. I just want someone who is showing that they're serious about it and just explaining exactly what your issue is, plain and simple. So go to coachedbytrip.com if you want to learn how to meet more women. So then you can eventually come back to this podcast again and learn more about how to find the right woman for you. All right? Okay, here's my interview with Sean T. Smith. You're going to enjoy it. Take a listen. Hey, Sean, it's great to be talking to you today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tripp. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I said before this uh, before this call, I've definitely recommended your book, The Tactical Guide to Women, How Men Can Manage Risk in Dating and Marriage to many of my personal clients. And, and I'm sure I'm not the first one to have done that. I'm curious, when did you think about writing this book? Like, What made you want to write it? Well, it's a little bit of a story behind that. You know, I'm a clinical psychologist and I started my practice working with mainly anxiety disorders and working with a lot of guys back then. I've always worked with a lot of guys and I, I started to notice early on that so many of the garden variety problems that men would come in with like anxiety and PTSD and substance abuse disorders, they were connected to relationships. And I also sort of had an interest in working with relationships. I got a little supervision early in my practice and started learning how to do that. and noticed pretty quickly that um, men don't get a lot of training in how to vet the women that they bring into their lives. And women are generally pretty good at talking to each other about the character of the men that they allow in, but, but there's a shortcoming on our side. And so that's, that's really what got the book started. Got it. Got it. Well, yes, I've, I've read it uh, at this point around two times. And then I also just reference it just to, to go over some things. Because there's a lot of information in there. I mean, there's really a lot of things that you wouldn't think about to really understand if you're with a potential good partner. And I've been in this myself. I've dated some women who I knew weren't good for me. And haven't we all? What was that? Haven't we all? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and and you just don't know. You just don't know. So I'm just curious. I just want to dive right in. What are some of the most important things? you think there are to look for in a female partner? Because right now, you have an audience of men who are you know, single all the way 18 to 60 years old who listen to this podcast and and a few in relationships. What would you say to that guy who's going out there, who's dating, trying to meet women and, and wants to know what are the most important things to look for? Well, I think the two big categories are character and shared values. And as men, most of us aren't taught to look for those things. And so we do one of two things. We either do what we saw done around us when we were coming up, meaning we, you know, we do what our parents did or our uncles or whoever our role models were, or we just follow our instincts and and go what after, you know, go after whatever looks good and, and sounds good. If she says the right things and she pays attention to us and she's pretty, then that's good enough for a lot of guys. And that's the kind of stuff that'll get you landed in family court if you're not careful down the road. Yeah, right. I feel like guys are kind of looking at the more superficial things and and not being that that's their fault. They don't really know any better and they're not paying attention to some of the more inner qualities. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I don't know about you, but nobody really taught me how to do it. I was lucky. I grew up in an environment where I could see a lot of relationships unfolding and a lot of bad decisions and good decisions, but you know, nobody sat me down and said, "Hey, here's what you need to look for in a woman so that Things turn out well because you know when you're bringing women into your life in any capacity, whether it's just a short-term fling or you're looking to get married, 
the right one, there's a lot of research that says the right one will make you a lot happier and healthier and live longer and have more sex. And same for women. It was, there's been some research that says that marriage works out better for men than for women, but that's really been pretty debunked. A good marriage, a good relationships works out really well on both sides and it's good for our health. But the wrong woman, it's particularly risky on the male side just because of the family court structure and, and the way we handle alimony and child support and that sort of thing. Guys can get absolutely devastated by bringing the wrong women into their lives. And we do such a disservice to our sons and our brothers by not talking about the character of the women that we allow into our inner circle. So when you say devastated, what do you mean by that? Like what happens? What could happen? Well, we've all met a couple things can happen. There's, There's the bad path and the worst path. The bad path is, I guess, we all know that guy who has been zeroed out in family court and he's having to start over financially and he's struggling to get equal time with his kids and he's you know he's 45 years old and just having to start out from less than zero after he's been working for a couple of decades to get ahead and so that that's one path the other path that i think is almost worse if you bring the wrong woman into your life is that guy who has to make the decision of the lesser of evil. So he has to do the math and try to figure out, is it is it better for me or is it less bad for me to go the family court route knowing that the character of this woman is not high and she's going to drag me through the mud, she's going to destroy me? Or do I just run out the clock and, and I'll just stay with her and I'll be miserable for the next few decades and it'll be over soon enough? And yeah, that's almost the worst path, I think. Yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds pretty bad. And it just guys aren't thinking about that, right? It's like that that's something that feels so out of their reach, not thinking about, you know, maybe there's a there's a 25-year-old listening right now. He's not thinking about marriage even, you know, maybe one day he'll get married and and it will just kind of happen. But you know, it's and then it's it seems even further down the line that you could maybe get divorced and what that even looks like. And you're right, we aren't taught about those things. You know, we have to listen to podcasts like these. We don't necessarily learn this in school or from our parents. Right. And so when you're 25 years old and you're not thinking about marriage, which you shouldn't be at 25. You should be thinking about other things. Maybe we can talk about that later. But it's even though you're not thinking about those long-term relationships necessarily, it's the perfect time to be practicing good habits and weeding out bad character and allowing good character into your life. Because the more you practice bad habits, the better you get at bad habits. The more you practice good habits, the better you get at good habits. Let's actually, let's, let's dive into that. What do you think a 25-year-old should be thinking about right now? I don't think you should be thinking about marriage. I don't think you should be thinking about kids, although maybe that you know maybe that's a goal down the road. But at 25, you really be, need to be getting on your mission and you need to be going out and making a mark in the world. And particularly if you have plans of marriage and family and that white picket fence dream, for that reason, if no other reason than that, you got to be on top of your game because relationships don't work very well if a man is not pursuing his mission first and allowing everything else to follow that. And so one of the things I talk about in in the book is you putting your mission ahead of other things. And then any woman who comes into your life, and, and I might even say the same thing to a woman, but any woman who comes into your life needs to fit within your values and your missions, or it's it's going to be a struggle. See, that was one of the parts of the books I really liked is you have to have your life figured out and she needs to fit in your life. Where I believe a lot of guys who might be insecure or desperate or needy will do the reverse. They'll just try to figure out, okay, how do I fit into her life, into her world? And that doesn't work out as well. 
I've not seen it work out particularly well. I mean, I've worked with a lot of couples, hundreds of couples over the years. And there are some couples where that works out well, where she takes the lead and, and he is always sort of in passenger seat and she's always in the driver's seat. But those couples, they tend to be kind of rare if it's working out well. When I meet couples like that, typically they're not very happy. And you know, you can make of that what you will. I suppose some people call me sexist for that observation, but relationships do tend to work out better when the man knows what he's doing and why he's doing it in the world. Why do you think that is? That's that's a pretty complicated question, I think. You know, <laughs> I, I guess it goes back to we could I tend to take everything back to evolutionary psychology. When somebody hits, a, hits me with a question like that, that's really difficult to answer. I think the, the starting point is, well, how did we evolve and, and what were the selection pressures? And the selection pressures up until you know, the last few hundred years have, has always been for men to be active in the world, for men to go out and you know, slay the beast and bring home something to eat. And so it would make sense for a woman to look for a man who knows how to go out and slay the beast and, and bring it back. And so it's not to, that's not a moral, moral judgment. It's not to say that that's the way things necessarily should be. It's just saying that that's the way things have been. And that is the experience that has shaped the minds that we have today. Interesting. Interesting. So then because of that, you're saying that it fits better or works better when the guy is taking the lead? Taking the lead in, um, in what respect? Maybe we should pin down some terms here because yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm veering into the land of, of things that I don't believe, which is that women should always be subservient to men. I, I think you know, it's not something that I subscribe to. And a woman can be on point and on her mission too. What, all I'm saying is that a man needs to be on, his, on point with his mission. And women generally have the option of being on point with their mission or not. It doesn't generally affect the relationship necessarily, but a man not being on point with his mission absolutely affects most relationships. And that's what you've seen in, in your couples counseling throughout the years. Is that right? Yeah. And there's, there's quite a bit of evolutionary psychology research that would back up the idea that women are looking for certain types of men. They're looking for men who are, are assertive and not necessarily agreeable all the time, but they have a social connectedness. They demonstrate intelligence, like they have a sense of humor, which is a sign of intelligence. And that women are selecting for a lot of psychological traits, whereas men, generally speaking, are selecting more for physical traits. And again, those, those are really broad terms. I mean, men are, men are obviously selecting for psychological traits too. It's just that we lean a little more heavily toward the physical side and women lean a little more heavily toward the psychological side when, when we're sizing each other up. And which causes, and coming full circle here, causes issues for guys who are not paying attention to the psychological side or the behavioral traits and then can get themselves caught in a, in a poor relationship with a woman who doesn't ever act together, right? Yeah. There's a professor that I like a lot. And I was at a, a lecture that he was giving several years ago. And he was talking about one of his areas of research is how men or how couples get themselves into bad relationships. And one of the most efficient paths to end up in a bad marriage is to slide into the relationship with Matt without making conscious decisions. So what people will do is they'll get a puppy together and then they'll sign a lease on a house together, or maybe they'll commingle their, their um, finances a little bit. And all of these little decisions 
if they're not intentional, if they're not part of a bigger plan, what they do is they reduce your your option to leave. And so he does a lot of research into what he calls sliding and deciding. So people either deciding to go into a relationship, which generally works out better, or sliding into a relationship unintentionally by making these little entanglements. And that tends to not work out so well statistically. And he he was talking about a puppy that he got one time because you know you get a puppy and the puppy's adorable and it's licking your face and it's just the sweetest thing in the world and so you take it home and this cute little adorable puppy face you find out that there's a backside to, to the puppy and and it's a lot more work the back end and what guys will do if they're not careful is they will fall in love with the physical and and the emotional and all the nice words and all the softness and so forth but then 10 years down the road or five years down the road, they discover that, wow, this person's character is a lot more complex than I thought. And maybe it's even a little darker than I thought. So how are you supposed to sift through that in the dating world? You know, it's like we want to prevent it, right? So how do we, how do you suppose guys sift through what could be someone who's going to be a good partner or a bad partner when they're going on, you know, the first dates, date one to date five? Are there anything specific that you think there is to look for? Any questions to ask or any things to kind of pay attention to? Well, yeah, there's. I, I break it down into three categories. There's character, a maturity, and stability. So character being things like how she treats people, what her outlook in the world is, and how she um, approaches other human beings. Maturity being things like how she handles conflict, how she handles mental health difficulties. And you know everybody has some little mental health difficulties here and there. So how does she approach that? And then stability, how clear she is on her mission, because you want to make sure that that her mission fits with your mission. And clarity also being things, you know, qualities like being able to ask for what she wants rather than getting into all kinds of passive aggressive games like that. So I break things down just very broadly into those three categories. And of course, there are short term things you can look for. Like how she treats the waiter, you know that's sort of one of the pieces of advice that's out there, and it's not a bad piece of advice. You watch how she treats people that she doesn't need to treat nicely, and you watch how she interacts with her friends, and you listen to what her friends say about her, and you sort of assess her friends, and you can make a short-term assumption that she's the average of the people that she hangs out with. So the people she's hanging out with are not very high quality, or they seem to be of low character. Then maybe that's a reflection on her, but. For sizing people up over the long term, this applies to both women and men, it takes time. And the reason it takes time is because we, when we start getting smitten with somebody, we go through this honeymoon phase. And the honeymoon phase is your brain almost being under the influence because it deviates from its baseline in terms of neurochemistry. And so for somewhere between 6 or 12 and 18 months, it's really hard to pin down. But for some period of time in that time range, um, your your neurochemistry has changed a little bit, and this can be measured in cere- cerebrospinal fluid. So we know that people see the world a little bit differently during that honeymoon phase. And the job, the task when you're really sizing somebody up for a long-term partner is to get past that honeymoon phase. And once that honeymoon phase ends, then you give it, I would say, at least another year to see what unfolds in their character. And hopefully, there, you're seeing them deal with some difficulties. Hopefully, you're maybe traveling with them a little bit so you can see what they're like under stress. And hopefully, you're, you're infiltrating their circle a little bit, finding what their family's about, what their friends are about, how these people treat each other. And considering someone for a long-term investment really takes a long time of vetting. So I want to I 
make that concise. I want to I want to do that all over again. Tell me what you think, so just the guys can really follow here. What do you think is the ideal timeline in terms of okay, you meet someone to you commit to being boyfriend girlfriend. So we'll say that's like level one. Uh, level two might be moving in together. Level three might be marriage. What do you think in terms of those three would be the ideal timeline? Well, I'm not a fan of living together because statistically it doesn't work out very well unless... There's a caveat to that. If it's part of a larger plan that we're going to get married and we're living together and that's part of... That's just one step in our journey, but we are committed to each other, then statistically that's not as bad. But living together, most people... And this comes from a couple of studies. There are studies here in the US and, and some one or two studies out of Australia that found the same thing, that when researchers ask people why they moved in together, they come up with answers like, well, it was convenient. Now, what a stupid way to plan something that could have a huge impact on the rest of your life. So in terms of your level one, two, and three, I'd put two and three together. Don't, don't shack up unless you plan on getting married and actually being committed with this person, or unless you're just doing it temporarily and you both acknowledge that this is a temporary thing and you're going to keep your finances separate and you're not going to get a puppy together and all of that kind of stuff. So level one, if you're just dating somebody, you should be watching them pretty closely and you should be getting to know their family and friends and you should be watching them in circumstances and you should be talking to your your tribe, your guys, and finding out what they think about her. And if you have to get them a little bit drunk to get the truth out of them, then do that, but get the truth out of them and and make them listen. But then, in terms of living together or or marriage, um, like let's let's talk about that honeymoon a little bit further. What happens is your neurochemistry deviates from its baseline, and you're seeing the world a little bit differently than you did before, and that you're going going to later, and you're seeing them differently. So what you're doing is you're not really seeing all of their faults and all the things that are kind of cute right now. Like, oh, she's, she's a little bit late all the time. Oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that adorable? Well, that's going to get really old down the road. But you don't see that when you're in the honeymoon phase. And so you know you're coming out of the honeymoon phase when you start to see each other as real three-dimensional human beings that are sometimes a little bit annoying. That's, that's the sign that you're no longer in the honeymoon. And from that point, you know, just as a rule of thumb, at least another year of actually watching her in different situations. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's interesting too that you say that about, you know, the level 2 and 3 in terms of, you know, moving in together and and getting married. So you think if you are planning on getting married like you've talked about getting engaged and it happening then living together, that's the only exception where you think it could work out. I you know, and I don't know if there's any research behind that. I'm just Going on the principle that when people are forthright with each other, it tends to work out better. Yeah. Instead of just like, hey, let's move in together now right. and see what happens, right? That's a disaster. And it doesn't work out well usually. Right. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, back to something you said before about travel. I do believe travel is a great way to, uh, you know, going on little trips with your, with your girlfriend or, or a girl that you're dating is a great way to really see how they handle stuff because there's, Always something that comes up that yeah. could be stressful in traveling. There's always it's it's inevitable, you know. And I'll give an example too. Is I remember my current girlfriend. This is uh, about a year ago. We had to make it back to the airport in time to get our flight back home and check out of our Airbnb. And we were staying in a condo that was you know I don't know probably like fifty stories. And the the elevator broke, and we had to climb about 46 flights of stairs 
to get to our room so we can get our bags to make it to the airport. And as it's happened, that's a very stressful situation. And turns out, you know, we did it. We did the climb. It was hard, but we kind of made the most of it. We laughed at it and we got our stuff and we got to the airport and it was fine. And I can imagine women who I've previously dated, them not handling that situation so well. So it was like that little test that could have only happened coming from a travel situation that kind of helped me see the character inside this person. You know, yeah. Yeah. In those stressful situations, you're not, it's hard to like act and be an actor and put on your best face because stress is hard. So you tend to bring out, you know, your true character, right? Yeah. And especially when you're traveling and maybe you start with some short trips at first, but maybe you travel out of the country one time with her because you're going to be tired and something's not going to go right. Like that example is a beautiful example. And you get to find out not only what her character is like, but what the two of you are like together when things aren't going well. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to switch topics a little bit. So now that we're talking a little bit more about the dating, imagine you're a couple. What are couples most fighting about that you've seen in your practice? When they're coming to you, what are the biggest things? And I'm, I'm asking you this so the guys listening can kind of see ahead to what some of the issues are when you do get into a relationship. Yeah. Well, when I see people, they've usually been married for a while or they've been in a relationship for, for quite a while. And so they've gotten used to each other. They're past that honeymoon phase. And usually it's what the statistics would say that they are, that the big four are sex, money, children, and religion. And I guess you could put family in there too, in-laws. That's, that's another big one. So maybe there's a big five, but there's at least those big four. And you know, I, some people are really opposed to sleeping together before marriage. Some people are all for it. I'm all for it because you need to know, you know, that, that's, if that's one of the things that married couples fight about, it's good to know whether or not you're compatible early on so you can move on if not. You know, there's a book called Eight Dates by Dr. John Gottman. Have you seen that? No. So Eight Dates is a book where couples can whether you're just dating or whether you're in a marriage or relationship, wherever you are, you can have these eight dates with your partner and talk about the eight most important topics of a relationship. So there's trust, money, sex, religion, adventure, and a few more. So it's about getting on the same page or just understanding how the other person thinks on those topics to see if you guys are compatible. So, yeah, I'm, I'm um, it's, it's very interesting, and yeah. I, I'm just thinking of that based off of what you said here, because you know these are some of the things that cause right problems, and and children and family. That's another date on there. So, yeah, and I'm I'm all for having those conversations early. I think those are the conversations you have early in the relationship, so that you can weed each other out quickly, get to rejection quickly, as my friend Robert Glover says, and and move on with your lives if you're not a good fit. But once those conversations have unfolded and you decide you're kind of on the same page, then it's a lot of experiential stuff. Then you're, you're watching and you're listening and you're experiencing things together to see if what those words that came out in the, early, in the beginning, see if they actually match with the behaviors that you see in real life. Right. Yeah. No, it's like everyone is putting on their best face in the beginning too. Yeah. Yeah. Really, we should probably be putting on our worst face. I've never thought about this before. We should probably just show up um, wearing what we wear, wear around the house and <laughs> not in a great mood and be honest about what our worst day looks like. Yep. And then you can be like, okay, so this is really what's going on. Can I live with this person? Can I accept this person? And if you can't, goodbye. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that's not going to happen. So I guess we go with long-term vetting in place of that. Right. Yeah, it just yeah, it's not going to happen that way exactly. It's all really interesting. I find that also a lot of guys like one of the biggest problems is they get too far. Like you were saying this before, you know, all these little commitments like getting a place together, getting a dog together, whatever it is, and they get a little too far into it mm-hmm. and their emotions take over, right? So they get to this point where they feel like they can't get out. But let's be honest, you can always get out. It might not be easy, but you can always get out. So I'm just curious, do you have any advice for, for guys? Like, How do you kind of maintain logic and rationality in times where you, know, you really like this girl? So for example, let's say you know, someone is, is too far in. But then they realize, oh, I don't know, the girl that they're dating has a mental illness. Or they realize, oh, she didn't really show her true colors until much later on. Or you find out that she, you thought she was mature, but then ended up not really. Or she, she made her life seem like it was in order, but then you kind of found out, oh, wait, no, it's not. And now you're stuck because you're already in that honeymoon phase. You're already having the love chemical dripping in your brain. And so it's so hard to come to a rational sense when you're in that. Like, what advice would you have for a guy who's kind of struggling with, with trying to, to look at this in a logical way to make the best decision for him when he's clouded? Yeah, well, I'll give you a little bit of practical advice and a little bit of um, philosophical advice. And I guess the, the practical advice is what I've already said. Avoid the entanglement. Don't get a puppy together. Don't get an apartment together. Avoid all of that stuff for a really long time. But then um, as far as the, the philosophical side, get really in touch with the fallacy of sunk costs. And that's the fallacy that says that what you invested in a business yesterday, for example, shouldn't affect the decision that you make today. So maybe you've rented out your storefront for the last two years and you feel attached to it because you've invested all of this and, and you've got all this money that you have put toward this, this property, but then the neighborhood changes and your business no longer thrives in that spot. Well, all of that money that you invested over the last couple of years means nothing in terms of, of the decision that you're making today. It should have absolutely zero bearing. But the way our minds work, it does have a bearing. And the same thing happens in relationships where we get attached to somebody and we've we've got this investment and this connection and it's not something that we want to give up. We have that loss aversion. And so if you can wrap your head around the fallacy of sunk costs and then start applying it on the personal side as well as the professional side, it makes it a little easier to see things clearly. Yeah. So what you're saying is is just because you feel like you're invested, that doesn't mean you have to keep going. It does not. Exactly. Right. Yeah, to put it in just kind of simpler terms. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. And then so again, that's your emotional side coming out, right? You're so emotionally attached to it that, you know, you feel like it's like you want to win, like you want to win. But it, I think it's it's best to kind of like you're saying, is it's step aside from your ego in a way and just kind of move on and figure out what's gonna be best for you instead of trying to figure out how to solve this problem that just doesn't seem to be ending, whatever that may yeah. be in a relationship. Yeah. And you touched on something that I didn't, which is the emotional side. I think you, you touched on that real briefly. And maybe we should talk about that for a minute because I do a little bit of coaching with guys one-on-one and, and I come across this problem with some regularity where a guy is just frankly emotionally hung up on a woman because there's there are things about her that are wonderful and he doesn't want to give it up or there's just that... <sighs> 
that visceral, indescribable attachment that you feel. And, you know, the only real answer to that is that it really sucks to have to give that up sometimes, knowing that your logical brain says, this isn't going to work. This is a train wreck coming. But your emotional side says, no, I can't possibly give this up. And, you know, we're complex creatures. We have room for both of those thoughts in our head at the same time. But it, it, it is really tough to walk away from something that you're emotionally invested in. So I don't want to minimize that. It's, it's a very difficult process. And you want to make sure that you got your guys around you when you're going through that. Well, now is a good time to uh, let's scare the guys a little bit. Okay. I bet you, I bet you, you have some stories, stuff maybe that you didn't even talk about in your book of guys that you've either coached or been part of your practice or couples, like some serious disasters you've seen. And you can tell us that you know there's probably some really bad ones that I'm sure would scare some of the guys. Do you have any to share with us? Yeah, I have to think about you know, confidentiality because I when I when I write stories and when I, I don't write stories, but when I recount stories in the book, I can be very careful about changing details and stuff. So I'll, yeah, I'll give you some answers, but um, forgive me if I stutter and stammer a little bit because I'm just trying to no read out some of the details. But the most heartbreaking cases are the guys who they wake up one day and they're 45 and they have spent the last 10 or 15 years married to somebody who has a personality disorder. But because they dove into this relationship kind of recklessly a long time ago, you know, they got the apartment, they got the puppy, they got drawn in because uh, people with personality disorders can be very charismatic and they can love bomb you and they can really suck you in. And they got sucked in quickly and they got sucked in very firmly to the point where it was very it was difficult to extricate themselves not as difficult as it is is now at 45 but even back at 20 or whenever it was it was difficult to pull away and then they had the kids and then uh, you know the, the family started to grow and so forth and all throughout this period of time He's just been walking on eggshells because he doesn't know when he's going to set her off. He knows that if he leaves, she's going to absolutely destroy him because she's seen the way she treats other people when when they cross her, when she decides that they're on the bad list. And so every day is just sort of trying to stay out of trouble. And what's so heartbreaking about this is that so many of these guys are guys who had ambitions and they have, you know, they're intelligent and, and they're thoughtful and they're smart and they could have done something so much better with their life than just trying to stay out of trouble. But that's what their life has become. Their life has become just a revolving door of, God, I hope she's not going to come after me today. What can I do to keep her calm today? It sounds miserable. It's horrible. And I've met so many of these guys. And I know some of your, your listeners are, are young, on the younger side, but you know, ask around. Ask your, your older brothers and your fathers and so forth these guys are out there. They're out there in droves and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, no, and, and there's, there's, I'd say probably a majority of guys listening to this are you know, maybe in their 20s or early 30s, but mm-hmm. I definitely have a lot of guys in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who listen to the podcast who do have kids who have been through divorce. You know, I've worked with yeah. clients who have been through bad divorces uh, that have cost them a lot of money and then dealing with you know, who gets the kid on what day and and it can be a disaster. And so then they work with me so they can try to meet someone who they're, they're not going to be having these problems with again. You know, So it's definitely a reality and it is scary. Do, do you have any other examples maybe or any other stories? 
<laughs> Let me think for a minute. I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Uh, so take your time. Well, but, you know, uh, I know several guys right now, several, I know I'm working with three or four guys right now that are just going through miserable divorces. And part of what makes it miserable, and, and I will um, preface this by saying I'm only hearing their side of the story, but these guys seem pretty rational. All, all three or four of them, let's see, I'll count three right now. They all seem pretty rational, level-headed. And I base it on the fact that they're just, they're on their heels. They're just trying to keep things calm. They're just trying to keep things from spinning out of control. But the character of the women that they chose is really starting to reveal itself during the divorce proceedings that just go on for months. And this is something else that young guys need to know. Divorce doesn't happen in a week. It can take years and it's years of stress and expense and just every dollar you make going to an attorney because the divorce industry is an industry. I think it's actually bigger than the wedding industry. It's it's a huge industry. And um, there are some unscrupulous players out there that are designs on you or just to empty your coffers. And the game that a lot of these divorce attorneys will play is that they know on each side exactly how much money there is to work with. And so they will stir up conflict and consternation right up until the moment that you're about out of money. And then suddenly both sides decide to settle. And if there's one of those attorneys in the mix, then there by definition almost has to be two of them because the one with the lowest common denominator is going to set the tone. And so it's, it's going to create a, a war of attrition between you. But you know, these guys, to get back to your question, horror stories, these guys are going through these situations where their, their ex-wives that they once thought were so wonderful are actually turning out to be pretty miserable, rotten people. They're dealing with a, uh, a family court system that is capricious and unaccountable. And, you know, these judges don't answer to anybody. There's no juries. There's no checks and balances. Judges do whatever the hell they want. They're constantly writing checks to attorneys. They're constantly trying to insulate their children from, in each of these three cases, from mothers that are um, maybe engaged in a little parental alienation and really just trying to make things difficult. And uh, I've had a, I had a female attorney tell me one time that women are just notorious for using children against their husbands and when it, during divorce proceedings. And so, you know, none of this stuff is anything that any guy ever wants to be involved in. I could not imagine. Uh, it sounds absolutely terrible. And I, I've heard divorce can, can beat you up financially, emotionally, and it can just completely wreck you. So, you know, like I say to guys, why not put in a lot of the work now to sift through and find someone who's going to be a good partner so you can minimize you know your chances or risk of finding someone who uh, it's not going to work out with right yeah so. and it really is about risk management and i'm almost to the point where i really can't advise guys to get married unless they have um, the goal of having children and family otherwise i don't know that there's a whole lot of benefit for men to being married compared to the risk now there is benefit when it works out well but I guess it really comes down to your risk tolerance. Are you willing to wager that it's going to work out well? And you have to weigh that against what might happen if it works out poorly. And right. you know, the older a guy gets and the further along he gets in life and the more established he becomes, the riskier it is. Right, exactly. So you're saying, what would be the point of getting married unless you're going to have children? Yeah, this I, I hate hearing myself say that because it's such a cynical thing to say. But you know, until the family courts change, um, it's it's not an advantageous arrangement for most men. Right. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, after uh, you know, reading your book and other material, it's it's interesting to hear uh, some of that and and kind of get an idea of like what marriage is all about, you know, and and why people should get. Why do you, for anyone who does want to get married and does want to have kids, what do you think the advantages are if you do want to have children? Well, the advantage is that children do better when they have two parents, and you know. There's been some studies out of let's see who did the most recent one I read it was oh forgive me I'm not going I'm not going to remember the name of the think tank but they looked at statistics of two you know kids who grow up in two family two parent families versus kids who grow up in single parent families and there's just a lot of advantages to having two adults raising you as compared to one got it got it well this has been I mean for me it's been an honor to interview you finally because I've read your book over a couple years ago. And like I said earlier, I recommend it to a lot of guys. Guys, if you're interested in learning more about this and understanding how to manage your risk, I really recommend you go to Amazon, you pick up The Tactical Guide to Women. It is by Shanti Smith, who is our author here, who we're talking to today. And it sounds like you offer coaching as well. Yeah, I have a clinical practice in Colorado. That's where I'm licensed as a psychologist, but I can do some coaching over over state lines, depending on what the issue is. Got it. What's the best way for them to contact you if they want to do that? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Iron Shrink is my handle. And um, I'm also on the web at docsmith.co. Great. So we'll put that in the show notes and guys can contact you if they need to, but at the very least, they can pick up the book on Amazon. We'll also put a link to that in the show notes as well. Is there any else that you'd like to share with us today, Sean, in terms of, uh, you know, you have a platform here and telling guys just any last words? Well, you young guys in particular, just stay on your mission and, and don't be derailed by anything. I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today and doing this interview. Really appreciate it. 